0: What is the difference between a healthcare power of attorney and a living will?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a healthcare power of attorney is um, is a document that you would use when you're expected to recover. So let's say you had a car accident and you're in the hospital, you're receiving treatment, and you temporarily or permanently can't make medical treatment decisions. It allows the agent you appoint to step in and make those medical treatment decisions for you. The living will is only used in an end of life situation. And in order for it to be effective, you have to be unable to communicate, um, have a terminal diagnosis with no um, expectation that you're going to recover regardless of treatment and two doctors have certified regardless of treatment, you're not gonna get better. Um, So then the living will outlines specifically what you would want to happen in that situation you know, do you want CPR? Do you want um, uh, breathing machines? Do you want dialysis? Um, so it's really advanced directives on what you would want if you need that narrow um, situation.
0: And uh, thanks, Tim. And then uh, the five-year look back, would you kind of Could you elaborate that a little bit more define the five-year look-back?
1: Yeah, so the five-year look-back is really a way for Medicaid to not pay for care if you've made gifts within five years of application. So for example, let's say you went into a nursing home and um, you had $100,000 in your bank account and you just gave it away the day you went into the nursing home. Medicaid would say, okay, that was within five years of application. And then they would divide that gift by the average cost of care, which is currently $14,676. So in that example of the hundred thousand, there would be an ineligibility period, meaning you're not going to be eligible for Medicaid for seven months. Okay. Meaning that if you would have kept this money, how many months could you have self-paid? So that five-year look back um, really starts the day you apply for Medicaid benefits. So they're going to look back, you know, today is April 27th, um, 2022. You're going to have to supply bank statements and all financial statements from April 27, 2017, to April 22nd, 7th, 2022. Okay, that's the five-year look back. But like I said, you know, even though there is a five year look back, there's a way for us to expedite that eligibility through legal and financial planning. And that's what we do here at the firm.
0: And in regards to the, the five year look back, I know that's they look for gifts. Um, we had another question come in um, on the slide talking about gifts. What does the four D's mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So the four D's is basically, you know, you can transfer, if you transfer assets to a trust or an individual, the five-year look back applies to either. Okay, so if you give money to a grandchild, that's part of the look back, If you give money to a trust it's part of the look back. So whenever we're having a conversation with clients about gifting, um, you know, oftentimes we're gonna re- recommend a trust because it allows them better protection. So for example, if you gave your property to your child, and they got divorced, then your property is subject to their divorce. You could lose it to that. So that's number one D. The other thing it would be subject to is their death. So if they um, passed away before you, now the property that you gave them goes to their their children or whoever they leave in their estate plan. Um, The other D would be their debt. So let's say they got in a car accident, no fault of their own, somebody sues them beyond their insurance, your property would be subject to their death. And then the final D would be their disability. So if if your child, you gave your property to your child and then all of a sudden they became disabled themselves and they need long-term care, you could lose your property to that. So what a trust does is it avoids all of those Ds, all of those creditors, Um, because you don't own it, your children don't own it. And so therefore, no creditors of you nor your children can come after the trust. So a trust is just a better vehicle for you to protect it um, so that it is there for you during your life.
0: Can we talk a little bit about filial support law? Uh, Megan, is that something that you could talk about?
2: Actually, I will turn that over to Tammy as our go-to person in paying for long-term care. Okay. Yeah, it's under the failure
1: responsibility law. You know, family members can be responsible for their loved one's cost of care. Um, And that really is a law that is is utilized by long-term care facilities if they can't get paid. Um, And so in situations where we've seen that use would be let's say somebody gifted assets, and now they're ineligible for medical assistance to pay for care, the nursing home can go after the family in order to to pay for their care. So it's very rare that um, if somebody does qualify for Medicaid, or they had assets that, that that law would actually be implemented. So the only time that we've ever really seen that is because of the gifting strategy where somebody did not have a plan in place, they've gifted assets, and now a nursing home went unpaid.
0: And uh, Tammy, then on the lines of gifting, can you give, like we know there's that $500 a month limit, can you give your children more than $500 a month?
1: Yeah, so a lot of times people are referring to the IRS gifting rules that you can give up to a certain amount per year, which in 2022, it's $16,000 per beneficiary. Keep in mind that is not a Medicaid rule. And and often these laws and these rules do not work well together. So you can, yes, you can do that under the IRS. But then if you go into a nursing home, you've done that, it's going to
2: make you ineligible for Medicaid.
0: What, once documents are in place, how often should they be reviewed? Is there a recommendation for that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We always recommend coming in for a review appointment anytime there is a major life event. So receiving any kind of a diagnosis is a great example of that. If you or a loved one receives a dementia diagnosis or an Alzheimer's diagnosis, it's really time to come into our office to review your existing estate planning documents. Absent any kind of significant life event like that, we always recommend coming into our office to take a look at everything every four to five years. I know um, Attorney Amos Skodal always gives the advice that every time there's a presidential election, it's time to take a look at your estate planning documents, um, just to make sure that the laws haven't changed and everything is still in line with your current
0: wishes. Um, Now, who should have copies of your living will?
2: Yeah, so that is really up to you as, as the person who owns the living will. We always recommend providing a copy to all of your agents who are in the document so that in the event of an emergency or a crisis, they have the document and they are ready to go. We actually recommend that your health care power of attorney, not the end of life document, the healthcare care power of attorney is the document that you give a copy of to your physicians and to your care providers so that they have that on file. But we actually recommend um, holding on to your living will and not providing that to your physicians right away. And that's because, like we mentioned, that living will um, really only comes into play in those very narrow situations where um, you are at the in need of the end of life care, if you're in a permanent coma or a permanent vegetative state and there's no realistic hope of a recovery. And so we want to make sure that your provisions for your care in the living will, saying that you wouldn't want CPR, a ventilator, um, et cetera, aren't confused with um, if what care you would like if you would go into a hospital and and you are expected to recover. So we recommend giving a copy of your living will to your agents outlined in those documents so that they have it and they are ready to present it to your physicians whenever they determine that it is the correct time to start enforcing those wishes.
0: Megan, where should you keep, keep the documents?
2: So any, um, we recommend keeping a document um, anywhere where it is safe and where your agents know to find it if you're not going to be able to give them a copy right away. With your healthcare power of powers of attorney, a photocopy of those doc- documents usually works as good as the original. So even if, um, if you happen to misplace your original healthcare power of attorney living will, we always maintain a photocopy at our office and we would be able to provide a photocopy if need be. But your other documents that really require an original, like your financial power of attorney and your last will and testament, we really need those two original documents. We offer to maintain an original copy of those documents in our office in our fireproof safe, if you would like us to hold on to those for safekeeping.
0: And should, should uh, we always carry the pink sheet with us? I think the pink sheet, she's referring to the DNR or the, pol- is it the pulse or the DNR? Was that huh. right?
2: probably the the Pulse or the DNR. And I will say the Pulse or the DNR is a little bit different from the living will that we talked about. Um, A Pulse, which is Pennsylvania order for life sustaining treatment or a DNR is a document that you would fill out with your physician, which says that um, under no circumstances, uh, what I want CPR or something like that. Those are things that you can really work out with your physicians. Those are physicians' orders. But the living will is a legal document that you fill out with our office that says, what kind of life support treatment do I want at the end of my life if there's no realistic hope for a recovery? And so with those, um, it's um, I would say if you would feel comfortable keeping a copy of those on your person, um, that is an option if that you're, you're comfortable with. Um, we can also talk to you about a service that our office works with called DocuBank which is a surface where um, you are provided with a little plastic card it's about the size of a credit card. and it provides um, a website and login information where electronic copies of all of your documents are stored electronically. So if you were to be in need of um, care in the middle of an emergency situation, um, the EMTs would be able to find this card in your wallet and pull up electronic copies of your documents. And that's something that we can talk to you a little bit more about during consultations. If that's something that anyone would be interested in looking into.
0: What if parents refuse POA?
2: So um, I am guessing that that question means um, if your parents are really in need of a power of attorney and they are um, not willing at this point in time to come into our office to set up that power of attorney. Unfortunately, that is really up to your parents. Your parents um, have the right um, in our country to make their own decisions and to manage their own affairs. And in order to delegate that authority of, to anyone else, to an agent, it's really up to them in order to get that document in place designating that power. Um, unfortunately, those powers of attorney are not um, something that someone else can put in place for them. And so, if um, unfortunately, if If a parent would not be willing to execute a power of attorney giving someone else the power to act, if something were to happen in the future where Uh, They would need someone, a child to act for them and they don't have that power of attorney in place. That's never we would have to pursue that guardianship that I mentioned earlier on where we'd have to go through the courts and we would have to offer evidence to the court that the parent is no longer able to manage their own affairs. And the judge would have to to agree that, yes, the parent is in that situation and we're appointing someone now to manage their affairs and make those decisions.